What's going on, y'all? Welcome back to Straight Facts, a sports show that educates and entertains. I'm your host, James Jackson, joined by my two guys, Stat Matt Robinson, our residential statistician, and Kyle Sierra over there. We are on room update number three, and it's getting better, people. Like, it is getting better behind them. I, I see a skateboard in there, a golf bag, so I, I know it can't get too tidy, but Mama Sierra gets looking better. So when she sees that, she's not going to kick your ass. Your, your parents must be coming up soon because you cleaned your room. They're coming up this weekend, but uh, my bed's made, so that's always a start. That's a huge start. I love that. I love that. All right, so let's get in right into the facts straight at you. The NFC West is the only division of football where all four teams have a positive point differential, and collectively, the NFC West has the best uh, record of any division. They also have no teams with a losing record. The 49ers are 3-3. The rest is positive. So I guess from that, we can say the NFC West is the best division in football. But we'll go conference by conference and really talk about which teams or which division is the best in each conference. We'll start with the NFC West and we'll just break it back, break it down by team. Like first we'll go with uh, the Seattle Seahawks, which everyone's NFC uh, contender going to the Super Bowl. And let's just talk about why the Seahawks are so good uh, this year, what they're doing. The Seahawks, they're playing just nuts on offense. And a lot of that's because they finally, as a lot of Seahawks fans say, they let Russ cook. There was this mm-hmm. giant movement that they should throw the ball more on early downs, and they've actually done it this year. They go, they're more aggressive on fourth down, and it's working out for them fantastically. DK Metcalf is stabbing the Philadelphia fans' hearts every time he catches a pass, and we are pretty wounded because he's catching a lot of them. JJ um, fell on a fumble touchdown. There you go. Only <laughs> way he could score one. No, but that offense is nuts, Kyle. It's, go, it's literally going crazy. I think that's it. The passing this year has been a big difference with them. I think it's going to be the difference in the playoffs with them making a jump potentially this year. I still think Tyler Lockett's one of the most underrated wide receivers in the entire league. He's steady, but it's the DK Metcalf sophomore year jump that's huge. You got to remember also they've only played five games, but he's eighth in receiving yards and third in TDs, and he doesn't fumble on that one. I know you know the play I'm talking about. He'd be second in TDs, so him making the sophomore year jump is huge for them. Carson was hurt a little bit, but he's going to be solid. And I think that offense is really carrying the way for the Seahawks right now. Mm-hmm. And Matt, it, you, you talked about it. The very first thing you said is all the Seattle fans are talking about let's, let Russ cook. And that's because going into this year, Seattle was such a run-heavy offense. And it was so weird that they were such a run-heavy offense because you have maybe the best quarterback in the league when hitting on all cylinders, combined with one of the best receiving cores when hit on all cylinders. So it was amazing to me to see how much, you know, how much they ran the ball. But, I mean, they were working with a good running back by committee. But it's it's starting to turn into, like, when Russ just cooks and you let the reins off of it, that offense just goes crazy. I mean, what Pete Carroll said, you can't win the game in the first quarter, can't win the game in the second quarter, can't win the game in the third quarter. You could win the game in the fourth quarter. That was evident by their fourth quarter comeback win last week. And Russell Wilson's making an incredible MVP case. He is, you know, my favorite stat, DVOA. He's fifth in DVOA. But if you look at, it isn't really adjusted yet for strength of schedule. What they're projecting the it to be is he'll be second in DVOA just behind Mahomes. And if they finish with the best record in the best division in arguably the best conference, I think he's the MVP favorite. I mean, at this point, it's rigged if he doesn't get an MVP. But it's not all Golden Roses out there in Seattle. Their defense has looked shaky, baby, at times. They got to step up a little bit, Kyle, right? I know you were talking about that off camera. Yeah, I mean, they've given up the most yards per game. They've given up the most first downs per game. And 
they are getting a lot of turnovers right now. They're fourth in the league in turnovers, but you can't rely on a team to play defense off the fact that they need to get a turnover because it's not going to happen every game. And I mean, I mean, look, look, the only argument I have for that is when you have an offense so prolific and putting up points, like we saw last year with the Chiefs defense, you don't need to like stop every team and hold every team under 20, but you just got to get the ball back to me one more time than our other team has it. And if Russell Wilson gets an extra possession, possession, he's most likely putting points on the board, which might give you some nasty two point wins over like the Cowboys or something like that. That could happen. Yeah. And I guess it is a little adjusted because Dak Prescott had to throw the ball like 55 times per game in that one game. So a lot more yards were going to be put up. But they do have some issues there. It's no longer the Seattle defense team we saw five years ago that brought them to the Super Bowl. Now it's the Seattle offensive team. So they need to plug something up. That's what's so interesting to me is that ever since Seattle got good, their mantra was we run the football and play very good defense, which is, I mean, traditionally how you win football games, right? And it was working for them when they had Marshawn Lynch and then the Legion of Boom on defense. Now they have none of that. Now it's like a, it's it's still Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll, at the, Pete Carroll at the helm, but they've been able to adapt themselves and flip as kind of the NFL is flipped. Now, you know, we're seeing the first year of, of them just completely going in on this all air raid movement and putting up points in, in a of uh, uh, often in frequent fashion, and it looks like it's working for them. And I guess this is what we all needed to see for, for Russell Wilson finally to get his MVP justice. Like, I'm, I'll say it every time we bring up the Seahawks. The fact that he has yet to receive a first-place MVP vote has got to be the weirdest thing in sports right now. Um, but I guess this is what we needed to see for that finally to happen. So, Russ for MVP train, I'm, I'm on that train all the way. Um, but the Seahawks are rolling. But another team, and I'll talk about them later, because I won't, I won't put out my whole point on them, but the Los Angeles Rams, because I've been a huge critic on the Rams and Sean McVay after seeing them really crap their big boy pants last year after going to the Super Bowl two years ago. And they look like stuff's starting to turn in the right direction, right? Like they're not as bad. Fifth in total yards and have a balanced attack, ninth in passing, and seventh in rushing. So it looks like who I like to call Jared Goofy, he don't look too, too goofy. He got his moments, Matt. He definitely got his moment. And losing on the road to San Francisco last week when San Francisco is desperate for a bounce back isn't shameful. And their other loss just being a three-point loss at the Bills, that's not anything to sniff at too. And if you look at early down success rate, the Rams are doing it on both both sides, running and passing. They have a 57% success rate on early down runs and a 57% success rate on early down passes. That's just perfectly balanced. Both of those are top five in each of the respective um, uh, run and pass rates. And Goff has been way better than he was last year. Last year, he only had 22 touchdowns, 16 picks. This year, he's nothing special, but he's good enough, which is what he was when they made the Super Bowl a couple years ago. But why? Why are why are they better now? What's like that? That's the question I've been asking. I don't even know if we have the answer to that. But why are they better this year as opposed to last year when they were so like underperforming and and so underwhelmed? I definitely think the balance. They finally figured out not that Gurley was great or like for them last year, um, but they finally figured out how to have a run game post like really good Gurley. They're mixing in running backs. And, and the play action is actually making teams bite instead of what they were last year. They ran, they run the second most play action plays in the NFL. And last year they were 22nd in uh, play action success rate. And this year they're fourth. Yeah. 
Yeah, don't don't take all my stats from me. I'm getting into those later. I got something I can I can back myself. Don't take it all from me. But that was a, that was the big point I was gonna make. Is we saw a declining Todd Gurley, but he remained the main back and took what majority, if not all, the carries, except where they had C.J. Anderson a little bit at the end of their Super Bowl run, and then Malcolm Brown a little bit. Um, but you know now now they're a complete running back by committee. And I I picked up Daryl Henderson in fantasy, and dude serving me right. So they they got the they got the running back talent back a little bit. But you sold on the Rams, Kyle? Am I, are they right to be in that number two position in the NFC West? So I've been pretty vocal about him, about how this is fake. They started 3-0 last year, too. It's not, like, sustainable. And they have proved me a little bit different. But one spot of worry for me is they got four wins, right? Every, sing- every single win is against an NFC East team. They've beaten yeah, every single good. one. They've played one game in conference, they're 0-1. And they played one game against the Bills, they're 0-1. So, yes, they're 4-2. and They have looked good in those games against the NFC East teams. But it's going to be a lot really telling to fans and just NFL watchers in general, what they do in these next couple weeks where you don't have any more toss-ups on your schedule. But I'm, I'm not sold yet. I'm still not there, but I see the potential in this team that I did not see last year. I, I do see a different fight. Like, I, I do see a, a different dog. Even, you know, post getting Jalen Ramsey. I remember before they got Jalen Ramsey last year, like, the Rams looked like they just got were getting pushed around by people. Jared Goff was getting bullied. And then I said it on the podcast last year when they got Jalen Ramsey that, like, that's a person who's going to come in and just not let you get pushed around, not get bullied. He's at least going to talk back and stand up for himself and for the team. Something I think the Rams were missing a little bit, just like that dog in them again. Like, they they came up with a really sloppy Super Bowl performance and looked like they didn't recover from it. Looked like they didn't move on from it. And, and now they're starting to get their swagger back a little bit. Sean McVay's starting to get his confidence back a little bit. And it looks like they're turning over a new leaf. But speaking of turning over a new leaf, a team who's been down bad for many years and is now starting to look like they're on the right side of mediocrity, and that's the Arizona Cardinals. We know why. It's because Bill O'Brien is a goofy among, among goofies and let them get DeAndre Hopkins for a bag of Doritos. But he, he's they're looking good. Fourth most yards in the league. Hopkins is the NFL's leading receiver. That's both both receptions and yards. And Kyler Murray is having a breakout sophomore year. Top 15 in rushing yards, second in rushing TDs, and a top 10 QBR. But I do see something in here that says fake good. One of y'all put in fake good. Uh, Yeah, that was me. So I do like what the Cardinals are doing. But they haven't played a team with a winning record yet. The closest is Carolina's right now. They're 3-3. They are the bottom half of the league in four in turnovers forced. They're the bottom half of the league in passing yards and the bottom half of the league in passing TDs. I do know Kyler Murray isn't an elite passer. That's not their essential game plan. But it's it, it they haven't proved anything yet. It, it's the same thing with the Rams to me. They haven't proved anything yet. And you're in this division. We're talking about this division for a reason because they're the best division in football probably. And they haven't done anything yet. Answer me this then. Answer me this then. Are you saying they haven't proved themselves yet, or are you looking at them in in regards to the top two teams of their division, which is going to be the Seahawks, and I'm still giving the 49ers that benefit of the doubt as they start to get back healthy and get their primary pieces back on the field. We know what they did last year. We know what they're capable of. Is that what you're holding, like, the Rams and the Cardinals too? Because I'm I'm seeing good football out of these teams. I can only judge what I see. I get what you're saying. You're making very, very valid points. The Rams are against the NFCs. The Cardinals haven't played a team above 500. But I'm still seeing good football. So are you holding them to a, a standard relate you're relevant to other teams? Yeah, I, I would I'd say I'm holding them to the standard that I believe Cliff Kingsbury is probably holding them to in the locker room. 
You just brought in DeAndre Hopkins. Kenyon Drake's supposed to be a stud. We're all in Kyler Murray. This team's supposed to be good. They're supposed to be a playoff team that can not only make it, but contend in the playoffs. So that's what I'm holding them to. I'm not saying they're bad. I like their team a lot. I've been high on them all year, but they have to show me more to get to that point at the top of the NFC West. I'll say this. The offense coming in clearly was like get DeAndre Hopkins the football, and they have not missed on that. Like they, It's funny that overall, like you know, passing yards and TDs, their bottom half, but DeAndre Hopkins is sitting at the league leader for, for wide receivers at yards and TDs. So like we don't get a whole bunch of yards and TDs, but when we do, they go to D-Hop. That's a recipe for success. Kyler Murray's going to just need that. I like that. What I love about the Cardinals is that they're very balanced. If you look across, they're 12th in offensive DVOA, 9th in defensive DVOA. And Murray still hasn't proven himself to me as a passer yet. But when your passing offenses give the ball to DeAndre Hopkins and if that should work, it works pretty well. They're 18th in passing offense DVOA. They're second in rushing offense DVOA. And having a really good ground game with a developing quarterback is a great like bench that can lift Murray up. And I know Murray is part of that lifting because he's 13th in the league in rushing yards. But that's such a reliable thing that they can come back to when Murray's playing erratic. And I was not as much a believer early on as I am now. I still don't know if they, like, get in the playoffs, but they're definitely going to make a lot of noise in trying. Look, there were a good four or five years where the Arizona Cardinals not only weren't good, they weren't interesting to watch. We've we've taken that second one off the board. They are at least interesting to watch now. And they're still showing signs of a bad team, right? Fourth most penalized team in the league. That's going to hurt you, especially if you're playing bad teams. Like, don't don't hurt yourself. That That's a recipe of a, of a bad team. I said that about the Bucks week one. That's just shit losing teams do. So you can't you can't do that to yourself. But it does look like like I'm seeing a different Cardinals team, and I'm just going to give them props. I will, I will agree with you guys, especially with you, Matt. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they don't make the playoffs. I, I could see them making a run for that final wild card spot, but the NFC is so deep. So if they're not going to win the NFC West, they're going to put themselves in the mix of teams like, you know, the Buccaneers, Saints, you know, a combination of the Packers, Bears, anybody else who's going to be in that mix for those three wild card spots. I mean, they're going to be, you know, in real contention for them. So we'll see. But another fun fact, Kyle Murray is now what? I think 3-0 and at AT&T Stadium after winning two or winning a high school national championship, winning the Big Ten championship or the Big 12 championship, and now beating the Cowboys uh, on Monday night. So... Kyler Murray knows how to get it done in Jerry World, that's for sure. All right, last team that we'll talk about for the NFC West, um, and that's the 49ers. Last year's uh, NFC champion went to the Super Bowl last year, fell to the Chiefs, and started off shaky. Didn't start it off too hot. Jimmy G sustained a little injury, but Kyle, you mentioned it. They got the win against the Rams. Looked to be uh, in the in the right in the right way, but even still, with Jimmy G coming back, that offense needs to find some consistency, right? Like they're still a little shaky. Yeah, they're really getting held together by their run game. Uh, Mostert's when he, when he has played has been great. McKinnon's been great off the bench. Um, passing wise, they've only thrown ten passing touchdowns this year, and they're 14th in passing yards. I mean, you need to step that up. I know Garoppolo didn't play what two games. Kittle missed but, a game. Yeah, Kittle's missed a game or two actually. I think he might have missed two. But the big thing for me here is that this consistency needs to be found in a balanced offense because I don't think the 49ers are going to be the 49ers of last year where they're going to be winning every game and you can't rely on a run game to win you games especially when you're not in a hole not in this NFL and no Nick Bosa today is a huge hit to their defense like their defense don't look the same without 
They've been very injured. Just they've, they got hit by the injury bug badly this year. Losing Nick Bosa early. Uh, Kyle Yusek had a hamstring issue. Obviously, Garoppolo missed time. Mostert missed time. Juan Alexander missed time. Like, Ezekiel Ansa was, like, playing with a bad forearm, I'm pretty sure. And I think it, they have all the makings of... They really do look like the Rams of last year, where you know they have talent. You know that they have, like, a decent coach. They have an unreliable quarterback. And it just they just seem like the an odd one out to me. Uh, this team, this division, especially with the new rules, could get four teams in the playoffs, but I'm only seeing two. I think I, they're going to eat I, each other alive. I agree. So, I mean, I know Emmanuel Sanders isn't doing anything super special, really, like, anything in New Orleans, but taking him, you know, taking that weapon away from Jimmy G, who's already, like, a regular quarterback, is, I mean, that's going to hurt your your passing offense. And it's the, I mean, they won an NFC Championship game where Grappolo completed, what, 10 passes, eight passes, something like that? So, like, they're not, like, they're they're not a, a, a heavy passing team to begin with. And if their running game goes, if Mostert continues to miss time and, and they're not relying on that, you know, above average running game as they were last year, I don't see the 49ers, you know, holding it, putting it together. When you have such a good running game, keeps your offense on the field, keeps their defense on the field, and the opposing offense off the field. Now your defense is coming back on with hella rested and ready to attack, and their defense was not as injured as it was this year. So there's a lot of things different, and it's reliant to me on that running game. If that running game goes, the 49ers sit third or fourth in the NFC West. This is how it is. I agree. I agree, but the one thing I will give the 49ers is even last year when they made the Super Bowl and they were having an incredible regular season, great run in the playoffs, every single week I was like, this team's not that good. This team's not that good, but then it was just W, W. Right. I'm like, wait, how are they here now? How are they, we in the NFC Championship? How are you in the Super Bowl? Dude, and they still have that edge to them. It's wild because I said the same thing about them and the Packers. And I looked up and the, those that was the NFC Championship game. And I'm like, really? Like, no one no one really knocked off these two teams? Like, yeah. the Packers really looked fake good to me last year. And, I mean, it looks like they're I still say they were fake good last year. I kind of, right? It was like the worst 13-3 team I'd ever seen. Like, I was like, there's no way that they're this good. But yeah. no, they were 10 points away from going to the Super Bowl. Like, they, I mean, they must have been kind of good. But staying with the 49ers, yeah, I'm, um, I'm that too. I'm just not not completely sold. It, sometimes in the NFL, teams get one shot at it. And sometimes you can tell when it's like, this was this team's only shot. They're not coming back. I thought the Rams of it two years or a couple of years ago when they went, like, we probably not going to see them back. Not in this regime or not in this reign. And I think the 49ers are falling, you know, falling victim to that. The Falcons. Carolina's another team like that, too. Huh? I saw the Falcons. I was like, like, this this is the Falcons' only Super Bowl. They're not coming back here. Who's the team for you? For me, I think it was the 49ers last year. (laughs) For all the reasons I just said, I never thought they were good. And they made it that far, but I never thought they were good. The Rams, I mean, I'll give them the benefit. Sometimes you catch lightning in a bottle, right? Sometimes you catch lightning yeah. in a bottle. I just, I think, I think last year the 49ers were very, very, very good. I, they all, they, 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 they made they had the homes look bad for three quarters. So, That's so an incredible Texans. achievement. Go to the Texans. The Texans were no, 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 no. That they, Mahomes was in from the second, like once the second quarter hit, he was Mahomes again, and. They were like drop passes. They picked off Mahomes twice, like in that third quarter. Like, I'm not saying they look, 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 I'm not saying they weren't good. I'm saying I could tell this was the only Super Bowl I'm gonna get for a long time. I mean, you gotta be good to get to the Super Bowl, but like, yeah. there's there's performances in the Super Bowl, and it's straight eye test. 
There's no there's no stat or fact I can back up this point, but you just got to watch a team and how they look. They look like, oh my God, I, I can't believe we're here. I can't believe we got here. That to me says you're not coming back. It says like, if you don't have the attitude of like, we belong here, we should be here, then like, th- that's not it. Example, when I saw the Eagles go to the Super Bowl in 2017, even though I, I didn't like it, it didn't look like you guys were shell-shocked to be there. It looked like, like, we earned our right to be here. Even if we don't win, I expect to be back at some point. Like, you guys had thrones up under you. I just didn't see that from the 49ers. I didn't see it from the Rams. I didn't see it from the Falcons. But it's just some teams were like, they too shocked to be here. They're not going to get back here. Like, they, I, they got lucky. I, I think the 49ers I are going to have a down year. They'll be back next year. I think I think right. I think we'll they're gonna be, be a contender for years to come. We'll be back uh, here next year. I don't trust them. I don't trust them. I don't we'll agree with you on the Rams. Though, the James. Tape. No, <laughs> yeah. exactly. I don't. I don't agree with you on the Rams though, James, because they proved it in that like shootout, like the highest scoring game ever when they played against the Chiefs. Remember that like fifty something, the fifty yeah, something. Yeah, the Rams game? also. The Rams also and hung up like, forty points. The Rams also hung up forty points this year. They also had another. Above forty point game last also, year when they, they only made, they were a fraud. It's a fraud. They made the Super Bowl because of the PI call. That's probably why they felt shocked to be there. That's probably why they were like, "Well, we really not supposed to be here. Like, yeah. it's really not us." And I'm sorry when you thirteen to three, thirteen to six, whatever it was. That's Super Bowl thirteen was, to three. They scored three points. That's that Super Bowl was so ugly. That was it's so awful. ugly. One of I two mean, teams in Super Bowl history to not score a touchdown. Yeah, get off me with the Rams, man. Get off me with the Rams, man. It's <laughs> funny. Right, I'm, about, I'm about to defend them later, so, like, I can't get on them too much. But not in, not in that Super Bowl. I'll, I'll explain later. But we got to go to the AFC, right? We spent enough time on the NFC. And the other conference, the, the best conference in the AFC has got to be the AFC North, right? Besides the Ravens. Well, we'll mention the Ravens a little bit. But we only need to spend a shit ton of time to tell y'all why the Ravens are good. You know they have the reigning MVP. You know they have a top three offense, a top five defense. Like, they're hitting on all cylinders. But unlike last year, there's competition in this NFC North this year, and or AFC North, rather. And there's another undefeated team. A, a, a team, the Ravens aren't even, unde- aren't even the undefeated team in that division, and that's the Pittsburgh Steelers over there. And, and really getting it done on both sides of the ball, but have the best defense in the league. And that defense is... is Traditionally, how the Steelers win is they just suffocate you and intimidate you on defense. Getting pressure on 39% of QB dropbacks, that's first in the NFL. The next best is 31%. They also have the most sacks in the league. I know they've only played five games, but that defensive line shows up to play. Stephon Tewitt, Cam Hayward, TJ Watt, like Bud Dupree, they're there. Like That team is for real. Facts, facts. I mean, they got the most sacks in the league and they've only played five games. That's impressive enough for me. I mean, we don't have a Pittsburgh defense like you think of a Pittsburgh defense. There's no Palomalo, James Harrison, but it's a great defense. I mean, they're top in the league on QB dropback pressure. They've only given up 330 rushing yards this year, which is very impressive. Only about 66 a game. And the offense has done enough to do it. And we know what the Steelers offense can do, especially with Big Ben. And apparently Chase Claypool's a god now. So, I mean, mean, they have the weapons to really compete. Y'all they, the have, they have the weapons to let this team compete in the AFC North. It's not the Ravens runaway that a lot of people thought it would be in the preseason, and it's going to be really interesting. I did not I did not expect for the Steelers to be this good. Yeah. I mean, it's still like, I mean, with, with a whole, like a whole, you know, a game below 99% of the NFL, it's tough. Um, but, I mean, I think even omitting one game from their schedule, 
I mean, I think you could still, you know, they, they've earned their place. I don't, I, I don't buy it. And it, it, it flies in the face of all my favorite stats because they're third in DVOA overall. They're first in run defense DVOA. But I, I just watch them. They're, they're like good, but like they're fine. Like they're not, I don't see them as a contender. They're, they're, they'll go 10 and six, maybe 11 and five, maybe, but I don't, I don't see them making a lot of noise in the AFC playoffs. They only they if you look at their wins, they're not that impressive. They beat the Giants by ten. The Giants are a disaster. They beat the Broncos by five. The Broncos are painfully mediocre at best. Painfully, yeah. They beat the Texans by seven. The Texans are in a free fall. They beat the Eagles by nine, which was a close game for most of it, and the Eagles are a disaster. And they they, they look very they didn't look impressive until the Browns. And the Browns is like maybe they can replicate that, but also, they like the Browns like never win in Pittsburgh. They've haven't won in Pittsburgh in like eighteen games. Yeah, and so, Baker was painfully bad in that game. Yeah, um, I'll give you. I will give you that point. They're nine. The of teams they beat, the combined record is nine, nineteen, and one. They've already played four home games out of five games, and their bye was taken away. So maybe they're not going to keep up this level of consistency. But I mean, you're only talking about like what these single digit wins. But this is what the Steelers do. They win football games. Is this not what they do year after year? Yeah, my yeah, think... never had a losing record. You, yeah. don't, you don't get style points by how much you win by. A W is a W, and they got five of them bitches. And also, Kyle, I want to go, go back to your point real quick. You said that you know, it doesn't look like the Steelers' defense of all the hallmark defense. When I look back at the you know, 2007, 2008, 2009, that, that crazy Steelers' defense, I see some similarities, right? A crazy stacked defensive line. And uh, we have a crazy stacked defensive line. One guy is, was on both teams. Cam Hayward, still still there on both teams. And an, an electric secondary with a all-pro safety. Electric secondary, all-pro safety. So I, I do see similarities with that Pittsburgh Steelers defensive old and now. And adding Minka Fitzpatrick is, I mean, it, you saw what, immediately what it did last year to their defense. Their defense was getting scored on, and then when they got Minka, they were the best defense in the league, the most scoring defense in the league, led the league in interceptions from when they got him. Like, he turned that defense around, and now they look stout, man. Like, NFL offenses are still NFL offenses. Can you imagine and- how good they'd be if Chazier never got hurt? Yeah, uh, and that would be the linebacker that they're missing. That's the well, only yeah, thing I, I mean, say. You, you got T.J. Watt. I mean, T.J. Watt's maybe a top five player in the NFL you know defensive I mean? player in the league right and, now. And until the Eagles game, correct me, they hadn't allowed a 100-yard rusher until the Eagles game, correct? And then Miles Sanders got him. I would imagine that's right. They've only given up 66 yards a game rushing. Yeah. So, I mean, look, it's funny, Matt, because I was ready to be like, yeah, Pittsburgh's it. They, they, might, they might contend with the Ravens. And then you made all those little points down there that just, that just made me question that. It did. But the reason why I say it is because Lamar Jackson and, and the Ravens are still winning games, but they're not looking like the, the crazy Ravens of last year. I mean, Lamar is still getting it done, but he's not having the runaway MVP season he had last year. Like, maybe they're falling back down to earth, but the Ravens are just too freaking talented. The Top- Lamar Jackson is like 23-1 and one in regular season games against teams that aren't the Chiefs. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'll need to see a lot more before I see them being on set. It will be a great game when they play Tennessee this weekend. Here's, Two five no teams that I don't really believe in. It'll be interesting to see who comes out. Look, football is such a physical sport that it's unlike basketball or baseball where the amount in which you win matters. 
You know, in ba- especially basketball, where if the the Lakers play the Hawks and win by five, you like, whoa, the Lakers really like they, they need to win that game by 20 every single time. But football is so physical. And like if you if, if your D-line has a good game, your offensive line has a good game, you win the trenches one game, uh, a turnover here or there happens, a bounce of a ball happens, like you could end up with a three or four or five point game in football, but a win is still a win. You still have to go on out and physical a team. And I saw the Patriots for years go to Super Bowl after Super Bowl after Super Bowl and really not blow any teams out. And we saw them lose to the Dolphins pretty much every year in Miami when they were doing that. Like I've, I've seen it, I've seen it happen before. So that's why football is the one sport where I'm like, point differential doesn't matter so much. It matters a little bit. Like if you're the Ravens and you continue to play mediocre teams and beat, beat them by two, yeah, that's gonna say something about you. But you know that that's not what I'm gonna hold that hold it against them. So even with the Steelers not winning these games by a lot, still gotta win these games. And the battle of PA is always tough. Like the Eagles, Eagles and Steelers have this little little unrenounced rivalry that that doesn't get talked about a whole lot, but. The players still call it the Battle of PA. There's still a little bit of pride that goes on with that. But we move on and digress because a team that coming into this week, we were like really ready to like give a whole lot of of, of dap and praise to and say we were impressed. And that's the Cleveland Browns. And then they go and shut the bed. But up until this week, the Cleveland Browns were doing, you know, were were doing something. And, And it started on their defensive end. Most takeaways in the league with six interceptions and six forced fumbles. Third and third least rushing yards given up among teams that have played six games. So the Cleveland Browns defense. I, I didn't think I was gonna say that. The Cleveland Browns defense is is what's getting it done. I mean, good for them, right? Yeah, I mean, they're giving up uh, now that we just saw with the Steelers, they're giving up a little bit too many points. Mm-hmm. But they've been replicating those points on offense. And unlike teams like the Steelers, they've played some good teams and they've won some good games and I, I, this is a minor setback. We know they don't win in Pittsburgh. You know Baker Mayfield's your quarterback. You're going to get an inconsistent game here or there. I'm not too worried about them right now. I think they fight for that seventh wild card spot. I don't know if they get it, but they fight for it. The Browns seem like a team where they'll beat every bad team but lose to every good team, and like that's that's that that means they're going to have the best season they've had in 18 years. Because I think yeah, they probably sneak in last wild card spot, um, and maybe got I don't, but I don't see anything more than that. Baker hasn't been a bust like we overreacted in week one, but he hasn't been great. He's just been fine. The Browns I just mean, seem like about- just a decent team, and they and the AFC North has the fortunate privilege of playing the NFC East this year. So teams are going to win more games than they probably should because they're playing four teams where. That in a division that no one's going to win more than seven games. So yeah, one, one long season. So with an inconsistent Baker, you got eleven games left. That it can go downhill quick, and we've seen it go downhill quick. Two, I wouldn't put it past the Browns to blow one of those NFC East games. Especially, I don't know what their schedule looks like, but say they got a uh, either a division game or a good team after playing, you know, the Eagles cow or they already played the Cowboys, but the Eagles Giants or, or Washington football team, they can fall they play Washington. Sure. Yeah, they just got the Eagles and the Giants left. They've already played Washington. So I mean, I can still see him dropping. I can yeah, I can see him. Dropping. I can see him dropping the Eagles game. Of course, you could. Why, you couldn't. The Eagles are better than. Well, we'll find out tomorrow. But the Eagles have to be better than the Giants, don't they? Oh, the Giants. I thought you were gonna say the Eagles are better than the Browns. Like what? Like That's just game wise, just stop it, Kyle. Stop it, Kyle. Stop That's it. Be a good game. 
Eagles about to be four, four, and one. Give it a couple weeks. Okay, but here's one thing before we move on. Uh, my one of my favorite broadcasters, Stephen A. Smith, is, is adamant about getting OBJ out of Cleveland. Save OBJ, get him out of Cleveland. Is that like is that is that a warranted take? Like, is o, does OBJ need to be saved from Cleveland? Is he like? Is it is it OBJ is just due to get him out of Cleveland? Because I'm not really on that wave. I'm not on that wave either. Yeah, I mean, he OBJ's played on bad teams his whole career. Like the Giants were always bad with him except once, and but now the, the Giants was abysmal. I know. This so was last year, Giants. Yeah, he. Yeah, he's he's not in a great situation, but he's in a better situation than usual for him. And and look, last year last year was a little bad. You know, probably wasn't getting the targets that he deserved. wasn't wasn't You know, the ball wasn't coming his way. He threw Baker his had a face. big sophomore slump. Yeah, I mean, he threw his little fade, threw his little tantrum, and now now he's getting the targets and, and the recognition. And it was one of those things where it looked like the Browns were falling into a little bit of media hype last year, where everyone was like, "Look at this stacked offense on paper." Kareem Hunt after went after the six game suspension. Nick Chubb, Jarvis Landry, OBJ, David and Joku. And I think Baker was like, "Oh, I got all these people. I got to make sure everyone touches the ball and gets the ball." When it's like, "But make sure your best player gets the ball the most." And your best player is Odell Beckham Jr. Like, get I, him the ball. I, I I still don't like see how people still argue that Odell is like top five receiver in the league. His best three years in the league were his first three years. It's not 2016 anymore. I know one year he was injured, but he's played years since. He's not this elite guy that deserves to be on a winner. No, make your team a winner. Prove that you're Odell Beckham because we haven't seen it since 2016. So you're saying he is or isn't top five in the league? No. I don't think he's top five. I don't think he's top five. But, like, you'd be hard-pressed to name 10 receivers better than Odell Beckham Jr. I think uh, those those – those nine ten spots are very close, but I don't hold him to the. I don't see the hype around Odell Beckham. I know he's the personality that most of the NFL league believes in. He hasn't done anything man. significant since twenty six. To me, to me, that ninth and tenth spot is being taken up by receivers like maybe like AJ Brown or receivers like that. I'm taking Odell Beckham no. over AJ Brown. AJ Brown's not nine. Who's nine and ten? Who's who's taking nine and ten spots? I don't. Devonte Adams. He's top five. He's top three. Devontae Adams, top five. Number ten's like probably someone like Amari Cooper. Yeah. And you're and, and you're like hands down taking Amari Cooper over Odell? I'm not. I'm not, but I'm saying there's a way more of an argument between that and putting him against guys like in that top five. He's way closer to the bottom edge of the top ten than he is to guys like Devontae Adams, Julio, which people like to see Odell in the same category. Yeah, as. It's Michael Thomas, Julio Jones, Devontae Adams. Are like the three, and then and Hopkins, up. and Hopkins. Oh, yeah, okay, Hopkins. Hopkins. I forgot. Yeah, yeah, Hopkins. Yeah, Hopkins is the number one. No, but I mean, let, side note, side conversation. There are people who don't want to put DeAndre Hopkins as the number one receiver in the NFL, and like to me, it's like not close. To me, the to best me receiver Hopkins. in the NFL is DeAndre Hopkins. I think I those four. Go Mike Thomas. Yeah, he's I my love, two. I love Nuke. I love. I've loved Nuke for almost a decade now, but Michael Thomas, he's just he's. Unbel- he's a crybaby. That's why I don't like him. But he's incredible. I go, I go. Hopkins, Thomas, Adams, Julio, and no not one else to, touches those. Not, not to sound like every mainstream or every average Joe on Twitter, but catching 16 five yard slants a game like that, that don't do it for me. 
Not he better had than 1,700 yards last year. Not better than DeAndre Hopkins. If DeAndre Hopkins was in that offense, yeah, do it too. DeAndre Hopkins was in a terrible offense. They both have really good quarterbacks throwing them the ball. Terrible offense. One quarterback had time to throw the ball. One quarterback did not. And when DeAndre or when Deshaun Watson did have time to throw the ball, yes, it was going to DeAndre Hopkins most of the time. But those sixty percent of the time, Deshaun Watson was running for his dear life. Drew Brees is not do that. Like Michael Thomas is a much better situation now that we see DeAndre Hopkins in a good offense, getting the ball as much as he should, getting the production that he should. Where he at? He, he number one in TDs and yards. We'll see. What? I agree. And just, I'm not – and back going back to the original point, I'm not mad, as mad with Matt saying Michael Thomas over Hopkins because I think it's very close as I would be in throwing Odell in the same conversation as those guys. Yeah, Odell. And that's, Odell, you're arguing him against like Mike Evans and Amari Cooper. So. Yeah, and like Allen Robinson. Do you like agree though that like the main stream, I guess, opinions in the NFL is Odell's – way more overvalued than he actually is. Yeah, like, he's not better than Calvin Ridley. I'd put Calvin Ridley ahead of him. I might too. Matt, Matt, that is crazy. That is, I wish someone could have heard that just now. That's not crazy that he just said that? Calvin Ridley? At this point, Calvin Ridley's breaking out. Calvin Ridley's breaking out this year. He's he's been amazing. You two, I'm, I'm, I'm flabbergasted. Both of you are saying that if you had an option on your football team, you have to fill one wide receiver position. You're taking Calvin Ridley before you take Odell Beckham Jr. Like, just think about that for a second. Calvin Ridley over Odell Beckham Jr. Possibly. No, I need a yes or no. This is so blasphemous that I need, I need a yes or no. Yes. I am taking Odell. I'm taking Odell right now. I'm taking Ridley for the next three years. My football That's team. That's my answer. My football team is going to blow out both your football teams. It's yours, not yours this year, Matt, and Kyle yours in the next three years. I can't believe what I'm. I can't believe what I'm hearing. I'm going to move on because I really. In 2016, maybe. <laughs> did Odell do something to y'all? Did he? Did he no. Did he, do no, he, he, just, no, he never played that well against us. I or like he never beat us, really. So, I, 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 it sounds personal. It really does. It sounds personal. I, I can't. Speaking of takes that we're gonna have to go back to later. Um, <laughs> <laughs> our next segment, bro. This has been a hot take episode. I don't mind hot take episodes. This has been one. Matt, you've let a couple fly. But going back to to takes, we did uh, at the end of week one. Week one overreactions in the NFL. So now we're going to go round table. All three of us are going to go back to one of those takes. And it was either fact or overreaction. And we're going to state whether we're either standing by that take or whether we're going to admit that is an overreaction. Kyle, do you want to start us off? Yeah, I'll start us off. So one of our fact or overreactions was the Patriots upgraded the QB position. And I thought it was crazy. So I'm going to defend my take that they absolutely did not. And this, we're calling this check tape, so I'm going to check tape on you guys. James said that it was an upgrade. And Matt, while he didn't agree and said it was a little bit of a reaction, overreaction, finished his point by saying the QB position didn't get worse. So, I can't believe, since, he, I can't believe he really like pulled receipts like that, Matt. That's I thing. have to. I, I have to because I didn't like what you guys said week one. I definitely was proving now. I, so, I since, since the week one game that we overreacted to, Patriots are one and three. Obviously, Cam didn't play against the Chiefs. Cam's one and two. 
in those three games Cam's played, he's accounted for five touchdowns, four interceptions. His QBR is a 77.5, which would put him at the fourth worst in the league. And if you add in that week one game, he's still the sixth worst QBR in the league. And do you know the last time the Patriots started a season two and three or worse? A little, I, I really the 2001 season, the season where Drew Bledsoe got hurt week two. I'm going to say Brady, what happened in the 2001 season, though. What they do at the end of the season. And Tom Brady, I'm, and Tom Brady ended up being the starter the next week when they were already 0-2, meaning that in the however long, 18 years, whatever it was, that Tom Brady was at the quarterback position that apparently got upgraded, he never f- started the season 2-3. I have to defend my original point a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. Last year, Tom Brady was meh. He finished, if you look at advanced stats, he finished 17th in DVOA passing, 16th in DR, and his passer rating was like in the, I think almost in the like 20s. And and a lot of that's because he had bad weapons. He had really bad weapons in New England. And Cam Newton now has really bad weapons in New England, and Brady has very good weapons. And Brady, with very good weapons this year, is seventh in yards above the average and ninth in DVOA, while yeah. Newton's floundering. I, I'll say I was wrong, but I wasn't super wrong. You weren't super wrong because was, you did I say it was an wrong. overreaction. We were wrong, but we were justified in the take. But, I, but watched, I, I watched after week one, and then I watched them play the Seahawks. Yes, they lost. But I watched a really dynamic performance by Cam. And if it wasn't for a goal line stand, they beat Seattle. So I watched, and the reason why I said that is because I watched Tom Brady be a, an immobile quarterback, a, a pocket passer, which, I mean, he's the best quarterback of all time, but he was a pocket passer. And then I saw Josh McDaniels and maybe, you know, the best offensive mind in the league get a dual threat quarterback. And I'm like, just wait and see what they can do with a dual threat quarterback. I think we're still in a little bit of figuring it out stage where the Patriots don't want to completely lose their offensive identity with also trying to figure out how Cam Newton fits into that. And I think Cam Newton's also trying to do it too. I mean, we you see the highlights of Cam Newton take it off, but on a play-by-play basis, you see a lot of times where it looks like he wants to run, but he's got to remember this isn't this isn't my offense, this is Carolina's offense anymore. They want me to, to throw the ball from the pocket. So we see him try to do that. And I think, you know, once it comes together, look, I, I'll, I'll go and say I was wrong. I reacted a little bit. Right? <laughs> I think I, I wanted Cam Newton to come back so strong that I took all the positives I saw from week one, threw out all the negatives out the window, and said, man, yeah, they got better at the quarterback position. But I, I still think Cam Newton is going to be successful. But to, to, to say they're better than, than Brady, but look at what we said. They upgraded the QB position this offseason. So I'm saying for what they had this year to last year, but you just ran the numbers. No one really got it. Yeah, they do it. Do it. And Matt, I know you bring up like the bad weapons, whatever Brady had last year. But I didn't compare him to the Brady of this year. I compared Cam to the Patriots and how they've been with the same weapons. And Cam's numbers are way worse than Brady's were last year. No, nah, Matt, no, nah, 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 we overreacted on that one. We, we did. We did. We did. Speaking of last year to this year, I'm going to go next uh, with my check team. Um and it's funny because I started to like go down the wrong path when I was talking about them earlier. So I'm going to bring it all the way back. But the overreaction in week one where was no more Super Bowl hangover, the Rams are back. And after thrashing you all week one, it seemed that like everyone was saying that the Rams are completely back. 
I'll, I'll, here's what I'll preface my entire take on, on saying. I'm saying there's no more Super Bowl hangover. I don't personally believe that you have to go back to the Super Bowl and make a deep-ass postseason run to no longer have a Super Bowl hangover. You just have to get back to old, get back to a positive season, get back to competitive football. It looks like the Rams are back to competitive football. And Matt, you started naming the Jared Goff stats and how that the Rams are such a, a run-heavy and play-action pass-attack team. So a solid running game is their offense, and, and Goff's numbers are showing it. Goff on play-action in 2018 was 77.2 QBR, is 11th best in the league. Last year was a 59 QBR, 25th best in the league. And this year, going into week five, was an 87 QBR. So he's very much improving, and we know he's, he's really dependent on a good running game. We're seeing him have a good running game again. It looks like the Rams are, are, are at least getting back to their winning ways or their above, above average ways. And a lot of it was, um, you know, we saw a huge decline in Todd Gurley. Todd Gurley fell from first in EPA, which is expected points per play in 20, 2018, to 27th last year. I know he was a little banged up. I know he missed time. But it clearly wasn't the Todd Gurley who broke onto the scene coming out of college in his first, what, two or three or four years with the Rams. And it was hurting them. Now with no Todd Gurley and a bevy of backs, it looks like the Rams are a little bit back. So I'm going to go and say I'm sticking to the fact and not the overreact that the Rams are back. Kyle, I know you say they're phony. I know you say they're fake. But Uh, all I'm saying is no more Super Bowl hangover. No more Super Bowl hangover. Since we ran ran the take, I was overreacting right with you heavy since we ran the take. I'm pushing back towards the other way. I'm not going to say it's an overreaction right now. Okay. Talked you off a ledge a little bit. A little bit. I still don't believe in them, but I definitely way overreacted week one. And I I think the position of the take is important. I'm going to say it again. Just no Super Bowl hangover. Don't don't, no one out there quote me and say, like, I'm I'm picking the Rams as like an NFC favorite or saying they're this huge Super Bowl contender. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying no longer there's no longer a hangover over the Rams. Yeah. The only only, the, the only reason not to like like about the take like they still did finish eight and eight last year and i'm not surprised if they do that again and do we still consider that a super bowl hangover that's why i'm not fully going in rants a little bit it was really mediocre eight and eight missed the playoffs yeah yeah i think i think they're i don't think they ever were a super bowl team even though they made it because they should have made it but i think they're back to being i think they could be 11 and 5 over the next couple years like just look at next two three years they go like 10 and 6, 11 and 5, maybe a 12 and 4. Like, that's no Super Bowl hangover. You're yeah. done. Back to yeah, the fun. Like, I don't think they'll win a Super Bowl, but I think they're going to be good. And I think the, I think McVay got over it for sure. Cause McVay last year was like lost. Like, that Super Bowl really broke him and he had to reassess and he bounced back. And he, he like, I thought maybe he was figured out. I, he's not figured out. He had more wrinkles and, Good props on on that for him. Yes, sir. All right, Matt, give us yours. I said that Baker Mayfield was a bust after week one. And maybe I'm right, maybe I'm not. (laughs) It's still up for grabs. Baker hasn't been playing out of his mind this year. Baker has been, eh, he's been decent. Last year, he was really terrible. This year, he's, he's had some, he had a really rough game against Pittsburgh. He's had some good moments, too. He... What do you consider a bust? Like, he was number one overall pick. He's supposed to be a that's very why. good football player. That's, yeah. that's why. That, so I got to say, he's uh, he's not going to be anything more. Like, 
Stafford was number one overall. He's not a bust. He's been a good quarterback for 10 years. Do I think Baker Mayfield can be as good as Matt Stafford? I'd bet no. So I'd say, like, Stafford's probably the lowest you can accept from a number one overall pick. And, like, Baker's worse so bust. And that's that's why, unfortunately, it comes with the territory of where you're picked. And with a number one overall pick, it's either your your generational best player in the league, one of the best quarterbacks in the league, or you're a bust. Like, we spent the number one pick on you. You should be the best player of that draft class. That's just, that's just what it says. Reminder that the Browns could have drafted Carson Wentz. They could have drafted Pat Mahomes. They could have drafted Deshaun Watson. And they passed on all of them. And then decided Baker was their guy. I mean, Heisman winner. Heisman winner put up godly numbers at Oklahoma, but we know what what the big. Oh, also passed up on Lamar Jackson because that's the same draft as Baker. Um, so I mean, yeah. we know what we know what the Big Twelve does for numbers, but I mean, number one overall pick is why like it, it's, it's feast or famine for the number one pick. I can I can still see him getting as good as Stafford. Obviously, he's not there now, but he's still what third year. He's got time. Yeah. He's got time. So bust or no? Currently, yes, but I'm not locking that in. It's too early to tell. Can you change? Third year. Golf is probably the standard. He's still he's still on the Browns, right? <laughs> so we can't call him a bust yet. So we can't call him a bust. But yet. can you change a bust? Like if you label someone a bust, can they unbust themselves? T- take wise, I mean, yeah, you could be wrong and you could change your opinion, but I don't think I'd label him a bust. Yes, I gotta go. Check I got my the team. example for you, Jim. James, sorry. <laughs> I said Jim because Jim Plunkett is the example. Jim okay. Plunkett was the number one overall pick by the Patriots in the 1976 or 74 draft. He was highly touted and he was ass for the Patriots. He was complete dog shit. They cut him. He goes to the Raiders. Boom, wins two Super Bowls. Wins a Super Bowl MVP. All right. That'll take uh, boom for sure. That's big shoes to fill Baker for Baker. Not, Baker not going somewhere else and winning two Super Bowls, but I mean, hey, if he does that, yes, you go from bust to boom. Thank you, thank you for the historical context. That that's that's funny. All right, so that's all we got for the main segment. But it's time to figure out what happened this past week in sports. Kyle, you got us. Yeah, so something came out today. Um, LSU is going to self-impose penalties on their football program connected to booster payments. One of those penalties is a two-year ban to Odell Beckham Jr. for handing out cash after last year's national championship game. Don't have too many other details on this, but I just thought it was hilarious because we remember all the reactions. Like, did he just give him money? Wait, what just happened there? And now it came down on him. This is is the NCAA telling LSU, like, you have to impose some stuff on yourself so it looks like you have accountability. Otherwise, we'll have to do stuff. So just do. do. We don't want to do stuff to you. We don't want to do stuff. Have a contained fire and put it out yourself, and you'll be fine. I mean, I said this last year when I watched him do it on national TV. You got to be real fucking dumb to go to an NCAA game and hand players cash on the field. Or, or, or you drunk. You got to be real dumb drunk to do that. <laughs> yeah. And be yeah. drunk. You got to be real dumb to do that, Odell. Like, he deserved it. Like, do I agree with the rule? No. But the rule is there, and everybody knows it. There's no freaking secret that you can't give these kids money. These kids are getting scholarships taken away for theoretical money, for money the NCAA can't even freaking prove. James Wiseman didn't play last year because he theoretically got helped. So why are you going to actually hand blue hunters? It looks like he just hit the ATM before the game. Them joints were crispy. And he slapped one into Justin Jefferson's hand. Like, how dumb you got to be? 
Not only are you messing with yourself, LSU, you're messing with Justin Jefferson, man. I'm so, like, I, it's so happy that they took this long to self-impose the ban that they can't really do anything to him. He's not part of the team. But imagine if Justin Jefferson was a sophomore last year and they have to suspend him and punish him this year. Like, yeah. oh, you have to be real stupid to have to be real dumb to do that. To do that and smack a, a cop on the ass in the locker room on, on camera, well, you got to be real dumb to do some of the stuff Odell was doing, man. They don't get much worse than that. I just love talking about it again. But moving forward, so Stan Van Gundy has agreed to become the next head coach of the New Orleans Pelicans. If you remember, Van Gundy's last coaching job was with the Detroit Pistons, which ended in 2018. Before that, he coached the Heat and the Magic. So the Alvin Gentry firing, to me, was basically a reset of the team. You have Zion now. You have this quote-unquote Zion era. You need to start fresh. Is Van Gundy to start fresh with Zion? Is he the guy? I'm glad you started with the Gentry firing. It was one of the firings I didn't agree with. I didn't think he deserved it. Um, I mean, he's, he hasn't dealt with a healthy team in years since he since he's gotten there. Now he finally gets one, makes a push for the playoffs when he gets his his rookie back, his number one pick back, and then loses his job. So I think that was tough. But you know, I, I thought Stan Van Gundy had a very lackluster last year in Detroit. Um, you know, we know how bad the Pistons were in, in 2018. But I mean. Maybe not that bad. That, that's the year they lost in the first round of the playoffs. They got Blake back. I believe they lost in, in the first round to Giannis. To, to Giannis to Milwaukee, right? Um, so you know, not not too much. No, of a, no, that was the year after he left. That was the year after he left. Yeah, the year before he that. He made the playoffs once and got swept by the Cavs when he was there. Okay, so yeah, I mean, still lackluster years. The Pistons are used to to having real success. But, I mean, I, I listened to Stan Van Gundy when he was calling games for ESPN or for TNT, and he sounded like, I forgot how good of a basketball mind he is. Like, the yeah, Van Gundy's a- are great basketball minds. And you're, when you're dealing with a young team, just a great basketball mind to help them, like, be there, like, is, is beneficial. So, I think it's going to help. I like Stan Van Gundy, and he had a great run with the Heat, and Pat Riley kind of robbed him of winning the title because... During the 06 season, Pat Riley said, hey, you're fine. I'm going to coach now. <laughs> um, and then he took the Magic to the finals, which is really impressive. But at this point of Van Gundy's career, like, hey, if I hear Sam Van Gundy associated with coaching basketball, I just think 35 and 47. That's what they're going to go. Just 35. Like, he, he screams, like, mid-30s wins, which is I, purgatory in the NBA. I was going to go to the same point. Zion and stuff. Yeah. Talent, it makes different, but... He he is a he's a he's a bland coach that I don't see doing great things or terrible things. To quote you was, earlier in the episode, man. <laughs> I was going to go the same route as James. Actually, the first thing that came to me was you're bringing in this basketball mind. I think it's going to be a good hire. I think they have the best young core in the league. I think Zion makes a huge leap in year three. Brandon Ingram's already solidified. Zion's already solidified. I think this is a good, a good team in the West that can't contend yet. But Ken in a couple of years. What's what's a little alarming is I do think they lose big veteran leadership. I don't I don't know if they're gonna keep on to Drew Holiday. I don't know if JJ Reddick's gonna stay. Like they're, they're gonna lose some veteran leadership and a new coach leans on vets, right? Especially vets yeah. who were in the league the last time Stan Van Gundy was good. Like Zion, yeah. I don't know, Zion was probably in like first grade the last time Stan Van Gundy was good. Lonzo was probably, you know, on a recess playground somewhere the last time Stan Van Gundy was good. They don't remember it. But Drew Holiday and J.J. Reddick can tell you, like, now I've seen him coach good teams. I vouch for him. He's a good coach. So we'll see. J.J. Reddick played with him in Orlando. I was about to say. I didn't know if that if I was right. I was about to say that. But, yeah. Fair. 
All right, well, moving on. So the World Series is now underway between the Dodgers and the Tampa Bay Rays. So the Dodgers jumped out to a 1-0 lead last night with an 8-3 win. If it goes 7, these teams are set to play every single day until next Wednesday, except for tomorrow, Thursday, and next Monday. So we have a lot of baseball coming up. Uh, my favorite part of this is that the Rays are paying six players $1 million, while the Dodgers are playing 15 players that exact amount. So you got a Moneyball-type team in the uh, World Series right now versus you know the Dodgers, who are there almost every year. At I mean, least the, con- the the contracts of Bellinger uh, plus Mookie Betts is just as much as pretty much the entire Rays organization, which is yeah. insane. I'm happy that there's two teams that I like in the World Series: the Dodgers because they got cheated out of World Series three years ago. And I've always been a Kershaw defender. Glad to see you had a good game one. And the Rays, they're they've never won anything, and they're up and coming, and they're like great team building. I love seeing that rewarded. And they got Joey Wendell, a Westchester Ramblum. Well, Rams, be, baby. Rams up. Gotta be, gotta be the Rams coolest up. thing that could happen is, like, Joey Wendell hits a walk-off to win the World Series. Like, that would be so cool. He gotta he gotta bring the World Series trophy back to the belt if he does that. He gotta, he's gotta be. He was on the 2012 uh, National Championship team for Westchester. But I'm really glad, Matt, we got this uh, World Series, too, because we were very, like, close to getting a, an abysmal World Series for us in particular, with the Braves and uh, Astros, which yeah. I, there's no winner to me there. There would have been no winner. I would have prayed for an earthquake. I would have called it. It doesn't count because it's only 60 games. That would be. I like the team, so it counts. This counts. That would, yeah, that would be the made, one. I would have made some reason why it doesn't count. And that's the one COVID Astros. Love Mookie Betts, former AL MVP. Love Clayton Kershaw. I mean, he's, he's, Kershaw getting a ring is pretty much the only thing that stops people from saying like top five pitcher of all time him if he gets a ring you got to put him in that category he's definitely the best pitcher of our era and uh, and like an unsung hero that i love is justin turner the all-time like leader in rbis and postseason history for the dodgers that's a historic franchise so to do that is is a very big feat all the dude does is hit like he just he just hit so I, i really love the makeup of the dodgers team but the rays are just like the new the new team on the scene but the Rays are here to stay. It feels like the Dodgers got like a window that's closing and the Rays have a window that's opening up. So it's it's last chance versus first chance. Yeah. I mean, anytime you have Dodgers payroll, you got a shot. But uh, <laughs> definitely, definitely excited we're not seeing Astros versus Braves. That would have been abysmal. Terrible. That would have been my one COVID asterisk I'm giving out. But yeah, <laughs> moving right. forward. We all get one. We all get one. Yeah. <laughs> moving forward. Apparently, teams are starting to look back at Antonio Brown, most notably the Seahawks. There's no big news to touch on here. This is very early. There's no no team like, all right, I'm signing him. But say he does go to the Seahawks. Are we looking at a new Super Bowl favorite? Got to. Got to, right? Like, if if Antonio Brown can rein it in, and it looked like he was about to in, in New England, and, then, and one thing went off the rails, and Belichick had a, just had very short patience. It was like, if I hear one thing, you're gone. He heard that one thing that Antonio Brown neglected to tell them, and he was gone. So Pete Carroll's a very understanding man. And Pete Carroll's dealt with some, we'll say characters, some personalities, right? He took on Josh Gordon. He was loving Money Lynch. So he's dealt with people who are a little bit out of bounds before. And Pete Carroll's a little bit out of bounds himself. Like, that just... That might, that might fit him. So if he can rein it in and go to the Seahawks and kind of fit into their offense, there's just so many weapons for now a passing attack offense and Russell Wilson that, like, who do you guard, dog? Like, like you guard Antonio Brown? You guard Tyler Lockett? You guard DK Metcalf? Like, who, who do you guard? There's not enough 
defensive backs on the field for all that. I I'm not going to believe Antonio Brown can help a team until I see him play more than one game. I feel like I feel like people oh they're going to make the Raiders so good never plays a game. Goes to make the Patriots. It's all they're unbeatable now that they got Antonio Brown plays hey, one hey, game. They beat the Dolphins in the one game he played, they beat the Dolphins. He scored a touchdown. So I, I need to I need to see it to believe it. That's, That's right. I agree. I think if they get him though, say say we do get these circumstances, I, I would put him Super Bowl favorites. Uh, definitely yeah, NFC favorites. favorites. I think you just. I think there's a conversation with the Chiefs, but I think if you get AB. Um, the NFC, it's not a lock. Nothing's ever a lock, but they're by far the favorites. And just the uncertainty between that Chiefs-Ravens game on who can make it out, one of them's going to lose, says I can't have one of them as a Super Bowl favorite if I don't know if they're going to get there. So I, I would say the Seahawks, for me, definitely are. We're, we're, but let's move forward. We got one more thing. So Cristiano Ronaldo got COVID this past week. Bad timing as the Champions League is starting up now. So Juventus already is 1-0 in the Champions League, but has to play Barcelona tomorrow, and Ronaldo will be gone. James, you're happy. I'm happy. I don't know if it makes a huge difference because we played Juventus yeah. a couple of years ago in the Champions League, and that was like the year after Paulo Dybala really splashed on the scene, and he gave us all sorts of nightmares. So he's still able to do that. Quadrado's having a, had a good start to the Serie A season, so... You know, we still got to, you know, contend with him. It's still a really good team. But, I mean, I'm sad we're not going to get another installment of Messi versus Ronaldo. We haven't had it in a couple of years. But, I mean, <laughs> if I don't got to deal with Ronaldo, that's a win for me, right? Like, I'm, I'm happy about that. But he'll be back. We got to play him again. We got to play the second leg. He'll probably be back for yeah, Juventus has struggled this year in the uh, Serie A season. They're, they're two wins, two draws so far. Um, and they barely won the league last year. They've won the league, like, I think eight of the last nine years or something. Uh, so being without Ronaldo is might be a big deal, actually. Um, Champions League, though, I don't. Their group is really simple, other than Barca. I don't see a scenario where they don't get through to the round of sixteen. And, and you touched on Syria. Ah, who's got competition this year? I mean, Zlatan's looking good with AC Milan. I mean, Inter Milan's got Romelu Lukaku now, uh, who's always one of the highest goal scorers in the world. So, I mean, they may not run away with the you know with their division or with their league like they normally do. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, so that's we're, all. We're talking about the the soccer aspect of it, and not the COVID aspect of it. Yes, yeah, I wanted you know, to say that because it sounded bad, up, right? <laughs> yeah. like, like COVID's not gone away; it's it's still around, and and I feel like we're getting desensitized to it a little bit. I talked about this um, on Trust the Process Live on my other show about how we're still getting positive results week in and week out in the NFL, and that's like people shouldn't take that as normal. And, like, the NFL was kind of normalizing it, right? Oh, we got COVID. He's just going to quarantine for a couple of days to a week. He might miss a game. He'll be back. Nick Saban got COVID. It was on the field in four fucking days for Alabama. Like, that shouldn't happen. So, like, I don't want I don't want an airborne disease that's literally killing people to be normalized by anybody. Hundreds of thousands of people in this country. Like, like it's not just okay that Ronaldo got COVID and is probably going to beat it. That's that's not okay. All right. Well, that's all I got for this past week. But I do want to give a quick glimpse at the future because we have UFC 254 this Saturday. And I know you guys don't watch too much UFC, but this fight, in my opinion, is the best of the year. I'm hyped as hell. It's Khabib versus Justin Gaethje. I love Gaethje. I really think this is Khabib's best shot of getting knocked off. I still think he wins. But I think this is his toughest opponent stylistically. There's good cards on the undercard and... I just love that. Um, 
more glimpses of the future. Uh, it's officially two a time. He's been announced as the Dolphins QB yeah. going forward. But they do have a bye week, so we won't see him quite yet. And Big Ten football is back, and we'll see him this weekend. No huge games. I think Michigan-Minnesota is probably the best one, but they're back. We got Penn State-Ohio State next week. I think the college football season looks like Clemson, Alabama, and maybe Ohio State. And we'll see more when they get to play against good seed. Because Notre Dame's third in the country. And then whoever the big champion is, right? Is that your your fourth in the playoff? Yeah, I... I, I it's I feel like it's two like two years ago it was clearly Clemson and Alabama and everyone else. Last year was Clemson, it was LSU, Clemson, and Ohio State and everyone else. This year it's either gonna be Clemson, Alabama, and Ohio State, and everyone else or just Clemson and Alabama and everyone else. And yeah. I'm excited to see how Ohio State looks now that the Big Ten's coming back. I, mean, I love Justin Fields. I, lo- I, I think love he's Justin great. Fields. I think they're going to be good. Justin Fields might have the, the benefit of the breakout season of the person who doesn't have a Heisman. They want to give it back to him. But that man, Trevor Lawrence, is it. He is it. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's yeah. just it. I have no more to say. He's just sunshine can do it all. All right. So that's that. Um, let's move on to the countdown. We got number five. Number five, the number of players to score 75 touchdowns before their 25th birthday. That's Emmett Smith, Jim Brown, LaDainian Tomlinson, Randy Moss, and again, going back on a person I was slandering, Todd Gurley. And the reason this is in here is, like, am I the only one that's, like, really surprised by that? Look at that list. Look at that list of people before him. The all-time rushing leader, what, the second or third all-time rushing leader, the guy who broke the record for most points, and the guy who's broken the record for most yards receiving, and Todd Gurley. Like that, that's I don't know. There's a, there's a drop off to me for that. Todd Gurley was absolutely incredible, and then arthritis hit his knees. It's almost like a tragic story. But like, but like he got he got arthritis at 25. Yeah. Like that's unfortunate. But he man. got arthritis during the Rams like playoff run too. That was he only got like five carries in the Super Bowl. Like it's yeah, CJ was toting the mail for them. I don't know. I just yeah. think that's interesting. All right, number four. The number of wins in a row, Aston Villa, English soccer team. As the start this season, this is the first time since 1930-31 that they've started 4-0. And the reason why this is interesting is because last year they only weren't relegated because of goal differential. And this year they started obviously 4-0. One of their wins, they beat Liverpool 7-2, which is just how's how did I watched that game? I didn't know how it happened as a bandwagon Liverpool supporter. And Villa, maybe they can be the Leicester of 2021. It's a long way to go. But it's fun to see. I just love when Matt talks about soccer. soccer. I I love when he throws that stuff in there. I know. know. No, I don't want to downplay like I don't know soccer at all. But I didn't know Aston Villa was such an underdog. So, I mean, good good to see him having a breakdown. Jack Grealish is a really good player. I feel like the EPL is the only league that really does that, right? Where, like, a, a team that was almost relegated the year before actually has a shot. Like, what other big time European league does that? We know who's going to be at the contention of literally every other league. We Jack Grealish, Villa's best player, two years ago when they were relegated, he was he was playing in a in a rivalry game, and a fan from the other team sprinted on the field and clocked him in the face, and then Grealish got up and scored the game-winning goal in that match. And so he, now he's like one of the – he looked like he's probably going to make the England national team. Like, it's cool to see a story like that. That's sick. Dude, soccer yeah. is the most unique sport to me between players, fans, like how it's marketed, like – 
just I don't I don't know. That's I don't you wouldn't see that in American sport. If a fan does make it on the field, his first thought is it like punch the other team. Like that's like we're crazy. We not that crazy. That's sick. All right, James, give us number three. The amount of wins the Chargers have in one score game since the beginning of 2019. They're three and thirteen. And we used to think this was just because of Phillip Rivers, right? And we're quickly learning that it's not just Phil Rivers, man. Justin Herbert, this can happen to you too. Tyrod Taylor, this can happen to you too. And Justin Herbert had the ultimate thing happen to him as a Chargers quarterback, right? Charge down the field, put your team in a position to kick the game-winning field goal and win the game and get a big first win, an upset, and your dude shanks a 30-yard field goal. That is the Chargers. That is what happens. That's the Chargers. Joe Burrow had to do it to him too. will always be the Chargers, and I mean that in very specific reasons, which yeah, if you watch the Chargers, you know what they mean. You know yeah, what they mean. This is it. This is, this is them. All right, number two. The number of basketball players this season to win their fourth title in 17 years in the league, that is LeBron James and Sue Bird, both absolute legends and icons. It's a shame that Sue Bird's career wasn't talked about more during it, but I'm glad she's getting the acclaim now. I was thinking that too, Matt. Like, why did it take us till now to recognize her as as a GOAT? I mean, she's, what is she, like, fourth or fifth all-time assist leader in WNBA history, a four-time champion, multiple-time All-Star, multiple-time All-WNBA. I think she led the league in steals one year. Like, I think I'm, I'm starting to really like Sue Bird as a basketball player because I think she's, like, the WNBA version of Chris Paul. Like, where Chris Paul, like was one of the best point guards in the league during like during his prime or during his run, got that recognition. But it was like later in his career that everyone realized like, oh shit, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer too. Like he's not just a really good point guard. He's going to go down as an all-time great. And I feel like we waited until year 16 or 17 to do that for Sue Bird. So glad she's getting that recognition. I will go on record and say it. Best shoe game in men's or women's hoops. I put her against P.J. Tucker. I'm going to keep it a bean. I put her against P.J. Tucker. Her shoe game comes correct. All All right. Number one. The amount of TDs Travis Volkham has in just three games uh, than the Eagles had last six wide receiver draft picks combined. J.J. Arthaga, Whiteside, and Mack Hollins, each with one. So Travis Volkham is already blowing them out the water. I I don't know why you guys put that in there just to, like, really, like, really sell that point. The amount. Can't draft receivers. I don't know. But – I'm talking to my other co-host on Trust the Process Live, and I'm waiting for him to admit that Jalen Rager was the wrong pick. I'm waiting for him to admit it. Are you guys ready to admit it? He hasn't no. played enough. He hasn't played. You ready to admit? Justin no. Jefferson, what is he doing? He's, he's the only. He's the only one you could talk about right now. Rager hasn't played, and I'm not taking T. Higgins over him. It's Rager or Jefferson. We don't know yet. I love Jalen Rager. We know, and it's not. He hasn't no, played. He hasn't played. It's not just the receiver individually. It's the offense that they're in, too. You picked a dynamic speed receiver for an offense that can't protect its quarterback. How are you going to get the ball down there? wasn't our fault we didn't know, like, our entire offensive line other than yeah, Kelsey. Yeah, had that to begin with. They, they had trouble throwing the ball down the field to begin with. So, I he mean, hasn't played yet. I'm not admitting it. I love Justin Jefferson, though. I really. think he's playing I outstanding. But I will say this. The Eagles have had a lot of gimmicky receivers who don't look like they could be legit NFL receivers. They just look like they're benefiting from a depleted Eagles wide receiving core. Travis Fulgham doesn't look like that. He looks he's not like one of them. Yeah, yeah like I think he's legit. I don't know where we got him from, but good work. Good work. <laughs> Old Dominion, he lit up VTech a couple years ago. That's okay. what's up. Shout out Conference USA. All right, uh, we got number zero this week. Number, number zero. zero. The amount of losses the Titans have when Derrick Henry runs for 100 plus yards—that's 16 and 0. 
And it really helps when Derrick Henry is a guy that gets a lot of 90-yard touchdown runs, too. He only needs a little bit more to get to that 100. Why is so. he doing that every other week? He literally does it every other week. Like, the Titans start in such bad field position, and then Henry runs the entire length of the football field. Yeah, and it's impressive. I mean, he really is that offense, and it shows. I know Tannehill's playing off his shoes right now, and he did last year, but it really shows who 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 that team is revolves around I mean, when look, they win football games. The Titans, the Titans went on a hot run with good defense and running the football. And I know it's it's sexy to look at when teams put up 50 points and throw for 500 yards a game. And I know that's kind of the new wave of the league. But if I'm a coach and, or if I'm a head of a football team, my mantra is still going to be we play good defense and run the ball effectively. That lasts. Like, to me, that lasts. And the Titans are showing it. So we're good. But that's almost, uh, we're almost out of time for this episode. We can get some shots about the buzzer. Matt, got anything to say at the buzzer? Uh, so I talked about this month, all, probably a year ago at that, the buzzer about there was a coup to unseat Bolivian president Evo Morales. Mm-hmm. And they had a recent election again uh, just on Tuesday, I think, or Monday night. And the party that, did, that made the coup happen, they forced him, in, they exiled him from the country, he has to be in Argentina. Uh, they murdered his dog by running it over with the tank, trashed and burned down his house. And this is a guy who cut extreme poverty in the country from 36% of the population to 17%. And he was the first indigenous uh, person to be the president of Bolivia since colonialism. And his party won in an epic blowout fashion to retake power. And now he can come back home to his home country and be embraced by the people who never wanted the coup to happen in the first place. It was funded by big money interest. So shout out to Bolivia and and the Bolivian voters for voting out fascism and proving that voting does matter. Wait, wait, wait. So you're telling me that a country was dealing with an oppressed group, so they used their right and their activity to vote, to vote out the person in power who was the downfall of their country and then bring in a new president to help them prosper? You mean that can happen? That's That's just very interesting to me. Wow. I hope there's another country out there that can follow the same suit. I really hope so. That's all I'll say. But I will say this to our viewers. Fat Matt is passionate about two, or very passionate about two things, sports and politics. And you saw saw the politics come through there. So thank you for shining light on a matter. Kyle, you skip out the buzzer a lot. You can't skip out the buzzer this week. I skipped out the buzzer one time. No, I feel like it's more than one time. At least twice. At least twice. Once. Once since I've been here, maybe when I was back home this summer, I skipped it one other time. (laughs) All right, go ahead. I'm not going to skip out the buzzer. Um, I do want to say, not actually my at the buzzer, but uh, I'm going to a sporting event this weekend, which is crazy. It sounds insane, but I'm going to the Pitt-Notre Dame game. I don't know what it's going to look like. It's the first time Pitt's letting fans in the stadium, Mm -hmm. so that'll be fun. But I just want to give a quick shout-out to my friend. I know he listens to the show, so I hope he hears this. Uh, My friend Cedric actually was on the town hall um, of Joe Biden, asked the question, was big news. He got put on CNN after NBC, and he actually got a Zoom call with Joe Biden. He's a huge political science person. He did an internship in the PA governing system. I don't know exactly what he did. That's awesome. And uh, he's making big moves in his career. I just want to shout out you, Cedric, because you're doing an awesome job. Shout out, out Cedric, man. Thank you for being active. I'll stay on the theme of of political activity. And I I know we've passed the deadline, especially here in PA, to register to vote. So all I'll say is I just hope that everyone out there did register themselves to vote. Uh, if you want to go and vote early at your polling place, go and do so. You can do that in PA. 
If you still want to mail in your ballot, then I mean that's all power to you. But I'm hashtag take your ass to the polls because I don't know what they're doing with the mail. But just I just hope everyone out there is registered to vote and ready to get active because I mean it's two weeks to this thing, man. And my Pierre- 94 year old grandmother in a wheelchair voted yesterday. If you she can do it, you can too. And PA man, in 2016, PA we we missed the last second field goal, and we and we swung it the wrong direction. We can't do this again, PA. Just I don't want to get too political. I don't want to get too partisan, but just be active to vote. But that's all the time we have for this episode of Straight Facts. Big ups to my guy Kyle Sirak who cleaned his room a little bit this week. You know, that's that's always awesome to see. And our residential statistician, my main guy, Stan Matt Robinson. But for those guys, I am James Jackson. These have been the facts. Straight up.